Well, welcome to what is the absolute highlight in the First Church calendar is today where we celebrate uh, so many people that have made a decision to follow Christ and to be baptized, and we celebrate their faith in Christ tonight. Uh, as Jen said, she gave you all the details, so I encourage you to be uh, with us tonight at Gene Clock Park at 6 p.m. Uh, if you need help knowing where that's at, there's people around. They've got these super awesome shirts. I actually am a team player. I have my shirt on. It's just under this other shirt. Uh, and so if you need to know uh, anything about the baptism, you can talk to somebody who has one of these shirts on, and we would love to help you out. Uh, it's going to be great as we come together. We're one church in multiple locations, and all of the locations coming together celebrating uh, what God is doing across our campuses. It'll be fun for you uh, to get to know some people from the different campuses, and it's great, again, to be one church uh, in three locations doing the work and the, uh, just fulfilling the mission that God has for us. Let me remind you, uh, of the vision of First Church. The vision of First Church is to ignite Christ's passion in everyday people to restore God's ideal. So what's that mean? What's God's ideal? God's ideal we see in the garden. We've talked about this before. God's ideal in the garden, you see him in perfect uh, relationship with as he has breathed this world into existence and created and, 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 and uh, you know, created Adam and Eve. And so there they are. And they are, Adam and Eve, in perfect relationship with God. And so we have that relationship. They are in this relationship with each other, this unspoiled relationship uh, with the world they've created, and then this unblemished relationship uh, with each other. God's idea, genius. As we think about the sin that then entered the world and the uh, being just the, you know, all the chaos and the uh, how that messed up those relationships, messed up the relationship we had with uh, God's creation, messed up the relationship they had with one another, Adam and Eve, messed up their relationship with God. And as we think about sin, we all have the same similar problem. Sin destroys lives. Sin has destroyed us and our lives and our connection with God. And so, as we think about God's ideal, God's ideal again is us in relationship with Him, with creation, with each other. And so what we do as a church is we work together. We open our lives and open our church up to be uh, at, about the work of God, restoring His ideal in this world to, world, to work and to pray and to strive together for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as He told us to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. And wherever Wherever God's rule is, that's where the kingdom is. The kingdom is God in charge, God's rule, God's reign. And so we think about that as our mission. If that is our vision, then there are some core values that you might think of as guide rails that are uh, rails that help us make sure that we don't get off track. Things that help us to make decisions about what we're going to do and things that make, help us make decisions of what we're not going to do. One of those core values that keeps us on mission to accomplish the vision that we have is it says this, that we believe the gospel should be shared with others. Romans 1.16, the first part of that verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So tonight at Lake Michigan, at this baptism, what we celebrate across our three campuses, we're going to come together and some 60 plus individuals, you can make a 61, some 60 plus individuals are making, have made the decision to, uh, to follow Christ and we're celebrating their faith in Christ. They've accepted the good news of Jesus Christ by faith. God's ideal for them restored. They are part of God's family. They're children of God. It's been said, and I've said it before, uh, the vision has a tendency to leak. 
And so it's good on days like today to be reminded of who we are and why we do what we do and what our mission is, what our vision is. And so I want to take the next few minutes and I want to just remind us of who we are, to be reminded of our purpose and the why behind what we do, why we are taking uh, the time tonight, all of us coming together to baptize these 60 plus individuals, to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Now, before we get into that, let me just say a big thank you to those of you who are so faithful in supporting financially the mission and the vision, the core values of this church. Because we don't uh, have a chance through different uh, ministries that have happened through the course of the year, whether it's vacation Bible school or youth programming or uh, older old stuff, all of these classes that we do, and all of these things resulting in weekend services like this, all of these things resulting in people making decisions to follow Christ as we have, have communicated the good news. And that doesn't happen unless you faithfully obediently as the Lord prompts you that you give and so thank you thank you because you help us make possible this mission and this vision of First Church uh, we're uh, in the middle you've, uh, you know if you've been around here a little bit uh, we're in the middle of raising some capital dollars in this initiative called For the Next One and that's all about reaching that next one for Christ and whether it's the, the laundry hub that we've talked about that we're going to put in Benton Heights to reach the next one, or whether it's busting out that back wall in this room that we're in today and build, building that atrium so we can reach the next one for Christ, or whether it's updating children's spaces and ministry areas across our three uh, campuses again for the next one, thank you for your giving to that. Because those are tools. This room is a tool that help us to reach the next one for Christ, to accomplish the mission, the vision that that, that, that Christ gave us. And just to remind us, again, who we are, what we do, because vision leaks. Let me remind us of, of what we're about. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 21, the last things that Jesus said to his followers, his disciples, what he said to us. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the, of the age. And so today, on this very special day, let's take a few minutes and let's be reminded of who we are. Be reminded of what we do. Be reminded of what our vision is. To celebrate the fact that these individuals have made their decision to follow Christ. And now we celebrate with them because that's who we are. That's what we do. Jesus told us to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly, we are on mission, in case you're wondering. Tonight is all about us being on mission for him, doing exactly what Jesus told us to do. And so we're going to take a look in this scripture. So if you have your Bible with you, and I encourage you always to bring your Bible, whether it's on your phone or whether it's the Bible like I have holding my hand. I encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. I'm going to read it, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to apply it to our lives and walk away having applied it uh, to our lives. And we're going to see it in action. We're going to see the mission in action. We're going to see what it looks like to uh, do the thing that Jesus told us to do, to go into the world, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, the story starts in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So this guy, Philip, follower of Jesus, disciple of his, uh, he uh, is, uh, God taps him and asks him, okay, from where you are, I want you to go from that place and I want you to go down to Gaza. Now, to get the context, it's really important uh, to, to, to think about where he comes from. And so we see that in Scripture as well. 
Because it's, it's interesting to know where Philip was when God taps him and prompts him to go from that place to this new place. And where he was, we see in the first part of chapter 8, in verse 4, it says, Now there are those who, are scattered, uh, who were scattered, and they went about preaching the word. And Philip, same guy, Philip, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowd, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Now, if you're a preacher, this is one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. Because what does it say? Did you catch it? And the crowds, with one accord, there it is. Do you see it? They paid attention. I love it. Anybody else getting excited about that? And they paid attention uh, to what was being said by Philip. You guys, I thought that was a lot cooler than you did. Okay, anyway. So, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who, uh, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there, were, so there was much joy in that city. Now, friends, this is a picture of legit revival, of some awesome things that were going on through the work of these followers of Jesus. And, and they were, uh, he, he, was, he was preaching and he's teaching in these crowds of Samaritans. These were literally the enemies of the Jewish people. They hated each other. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Jews hated the Samaritans. And yet, because of the gospel, because of the change that had taken place in their lives, there is Philip, and he's right there in the midst of, of them, preaching the word and teaching. It's a great reminder of God's heart for all people. That it's part of the gospel that we should set aside the differences and all the divisions because we, are, we can be one. We're all children of his. And so God calls him away from this super successful, awesome, fun ministry where great things are happening, people are paying attention, uh, uh, miracles are being done from the crowds, and he basically takes him away from that. And if you've got your, if you've got your Bible, you can look in the back and look at maps, and you can see where he was in Samaria all the way down to the last stop in Israel right before you get uh, on your way to Egypt on the very last stop there's this town called Gaza. Uh, we've got, had some family that came in from Oklahoma this weekend. And I was talking to them. They said it's been like 110 degrees in Oklahoma. And they came up here to paradise. It'd be like, it'd be like being sent back to Oklahoma in 110 degree temperature with equally high uh, humidity from here to there. And that's because what does it say? Going down, and what's, how, what's the description in the last, the last little phrase in verse 26? This is a desert place. <laughs> so it is in the middle of nowhere. And so he goes from the super exciting, fun ministry, God's moving, great things happening, out in the middle of nowhere to this desert place. And it says, and he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he came to Jerusalem to worship. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And I love that we don't see in this passage any hesitation. Now, it's not, I mean, there could have been. It's just the, the Scripture doesn't indicate at all that there's any hesitation between when he is tapped and when he goes. And he accepts the assignment. And the other interesting thing is he goes immediately, but also he doesn't even really know what he's going to do. God doesn't tell him up front what he's going to do. We know what he's going to do because we can read it. He's going to go down to this, to this place where this Ethiopian is, this eunuch is, and he's 
he's going he's gonna to connect with him. That's the assignment. And he comes from Ethiopia, if you look at a map. And it's so far away. Ethiopia is so, so far away from, from Israel where they're at that if you look at your map in the back of your Bible, it's not in there because it's so far away. And so if you go from um, uh, Egypt and you keep going south in Africa, you'll finally get to this area where he had come from. So it is a long, long way. And Scripture tells us that he, as we understand who he was, he had this influential post. He's in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. He's a finance guy, it tells us. He's the, in charge of the treasury. He's come all this way, and he's, uh, he's been seeking God. He had gone to the temple. He'd gone to Jerusalem, and now he's on his way back. The really cool thing is that God meets him out here in the middle of nowhere, he was seeking after God, and God does not give up on him. Verse 28. He was returning. He's seated in his chariot. He's going back home. He's going back to Ethiopia. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? So he's sitting there in his chariot reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Sidebar, it would have been super expensive for him to have had a scroll uh, back then. You didn't just have a Bible like we have a Bible, and you probably have 15 copies of the Bible in your home. Uh, that was not the case in those days, so it would have been expensive and rare to have had that. But he had it. It shows you his station. And so he's, he's reading. And so here is Philip, and he's come all this way, doesn't know what God wants him to do, and then God gives him part B of his assignment. I want you to, as he's come all the way to Gaza, I, know, I want you to go over, because he's going to get this specific assignment, I want you to go to that chariot. Go over to the Ethiopian in that chariot and join him. And what do we see again? Look at what does verse 30 say? How does he go? Does he gripe about it? Does he, ah, oh, I don't want to go over there. Does he, what do we see? It says in verse 30 that he runs over to the chariot. I just love the immediate, enthusiastic obedience that we see as he runs over and he overhears this guy reading, this Ethiopian eunuch, reading from the book of Isaiah. And he asks him, Philip does, a very important question. Do you understand what you're reading? And I love that approach. He's not, he not, he's not barging in. He doesn't, you know, he's just come from the super successful where he's teaching and people are hanging on his every word and lives are being transformed. He doesn't come when it's prepackaged his message and show up and, and, and say, hey, let me tell you what I know. That's not what happens. What does he say? It says he engages him in a conversation. He asks him a question. You think about how Jesus interacted with people, the spiritual conversations that he had with people. He would do that. Think about the interaction that he had with the woman at the well, where he interacted with her and he had questions, and they had this back and forth uh, dialogue. The woman caught in adultery, the rich young ruler. In every case, there was a conversation, and, and he said something, the guy, and, and they would answer back, and then he would reply based on what was being said, not again the prepackaged whatever that he's just regurgitating. And what we see here is, the, is him interacting with this guy like Jesus did. Again, genius. That's what Philip does. That's what works. Philip clearly understands the Great Commission. We read what we read at the beginning, to go into the world and make disciples and, and teach them what you know, to help them understand. And that's what we see Philip doing as he walks through this open door that God had opened to this Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 31, it says, How can I? 
the Ethiopian's responding, how can I know what I'm reading unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love that. God's moving in his heart. Spirit's moving in him. The guy's seeking truth, seeking these deeper questions about life. Here is this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, and we know from the context who he is. He has this important station in in life. He's got power. He's got security. uh, He's got influence. He's got people. He's got this entourage that are with him. But still, in the midst of all of that, something's missing in his life. And he traveled a thousand miles one way to try to find some answers. And what does Scripture always say? When you seek, you will find. And so he's open. He's open to someone. He's open to Philip, was the someone in this case, explaining it to him. Will you explain it to me? You wonder how many people in our lives, because we all have these spheres of influence that we have. I wonder how many people in our lives, if we really could understand, that they are open to a spiritual conversation. That they're open to a conversation that we might have with them. I wonder how many are seeking. Verse 32. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Now, it's not coincidental that he's reading what scholars have labeled uh, through the generations. This is, actually, you can go back, you can read it yourself. It's Isaiah 53, that area of Scripture, Old Testament Scripture. And it's a prophetic passage that scholars have, have titled the suffering servant because it's talking about Jesus. Like a sheep that's led to the slaughter. The prophet is talking about Jesus, this prophetic prophetic portion of Scripture written some 700 years before Jesus would, would walk this earth. And he literally, we know, was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Exactly what the, uh, the prophet Isaiah was writing about came to pass in Jesus. And there's, as we look at it, there's any number of places that could have been jumping off points for Philip. But what does he give him? He gives him Psalm, or Isaiah 53. And from that jumping off point, it says that he then tells him about the good news of Jesus Christ. This Ethiopian who's hungry to hear. He's seeking after God. And God sends him to Philip in response. And so, clearly, he's made a decision to follow Christ, put his faith in Christ. He's accepted the good news of Jesus. And we'll see what he wants to do next about that. But it's like those individuals who, and some of you are here in this room today, or you're online and you're coming tonight, or maybe you're listening to our radio and you're here uh, with us, and you're going to show up because you have made that decision to follow Christ. And today we're going to celebrate that faith in Christ that you have expressed. In verse 36, we see what happens next. And as they were going along the road, they came to the water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, the Philip, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The great mission. We see it in action. Making disciples. 
teaching them that the next step in their walk with Christ is to follow him, to be obedient to him, to be baptized, to make that public declaration that, that my life has been changed. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so he stops the entourage. And he, he must have had an entourage because it says that he stops the chariot. He tells them to stop. And so in front of all these people that were with him, you know, here he is. He's got his chariot. Think first century Escalade with the spinning wheels, you know, the really sweet ones. Um, and he's got his people, and he has his people stop the caravan. And he's probably got somebody that fans him, sits in the back, and somebody that holds his scrolls, and, and I don't know, got the, the, the drink, all the things. He's got all the people. And so this, in front of all this entourage, he wants to make this public declaration. Again, that's what we do tonight. There's one final verse, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And the two final things I would note as we look at this is that phrase, one, that he came up out of the water. And that's a picture that's, that describes how literally he's baptized. So if you come up out of the water, that means you have to go into the water to begin with. And so that's the picture of coming up out of the water. And that's the way we're going to do it tonight. When Jesus was baptized, the same phrase that Jesus came up out of the water. That's why we do, do it the way we do it here. I, uh, I've never not brought someone back up out of the water that I put down into the water. Just side note, in case you're wondering about that, we will try to bring you back up out of the water. It is an important phrase that we get. Um, and then look at that last line. And what is, what is, what's in that last line? It says, and he went on his way rejoicing. He doesn't see the eunuch anymore. And so, or is it, Philip doesn't see the eunuch anymore. And so it says he goes on his way rejoicing. The eunuch goes on his way. And just the, the, just, I love it that on the other side, on the back side of our, our obedience is joy. That when we walk in obedience to him, when we do what he's asked us to do, that there's joy on the back side of that. Some of us, as we go through life, have that tendency to lose our joy. I want to encourage you to just think about all that Christ has done. Think about the relationship that you have with him. Think about the eternity that is in store for you. And if you have lost that joy to, like David, to pray, God, restore the joy of my salvation. And so here he is. He's been seeking God, and he's, he, he's got questions. He's got everything that the world has to offer, but he's still got these questions. And he finds Christ, puts his faith in Christ, is baptized, he comes up out of the water, and he goes on his way on the backside of obedience. He goes away rejoicing. In the time we have left, let me just make some quick application for us. It's really important there's a couple things to see. Note first the heart of God that we see in this passage. Think back to the end of the story. Philip, again, is having this tremendous success in, in this ministry that he has to the Samaritans, and he's preaching and people listening, and people are coming to Christ, and all these things are going on, and people are being healed, and lives are being transformed, and he's, he's doing ministry of the masses. It's always fun to do ministry like that. And then God taps him and reassigns him reassigns him to go after, to have a communication with this one guy, this one individual. And there's probably somebody here today, whether you're on the other side of a radio or a screen or you're here in this room, and you've wondered, does God really care about me? And I don't know what you're going through, and you're going through some stuff, and you're struggling, 
and you're wondering. And I just want you to be reminded as, you, as we read this today, as we think about that, 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 that God cared enough about this individual, takes him away from the big group, takes him away from, the, from that. He takes him and he sends him to this one guy. So this one guy, it reminds us that God cares about us, that he cares about the individuals, that reminds us, reminds you that you matter to God. That it's not just about the big crowd. It's not just about the big group. But individuals matter to God. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Friends, God loves you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged in this difficult world that we live in, that God is on your side. That matters. That God is with you. That matters. It's comforting in the midst of the stuff. And then as you consider the heart of God, What's this passage remind us about the heart of the follower, the heart of the disciple of God, the heart of Philip? What do we learn about Philip? Philip, uh, he, again, he had this great thing going in Samaria, and we all love to feel a part of something that's successful and it's big and it's great and it's fun, and that was what was happening. And then God taps him on the shoulder, and he asks him to go, to leave what he knew to go to the unknown. It reminds me of the story in Genesis chapter 12 where God taps Abram, if you remember that story. And God says, Abram, I want you to leave where you are, leave this country, leave your family, leave all the stuff that you know, and I want you to go to this new place. And he doesn't really give him a lot of detail of what the new place is like. He just says, I want you to go, and I want to bless you, and then you're going to be a blessing to the entire world. And Abram takes his immediate family, and he travels, and he goes. And God blesses, and God was with him. And he didn't have a lot of detail again, but he went. And that was Philip. God takes him from where he's at. He doesn't know exactly what he's going to be doing, but he goes obediently, enthusiastically. Because he knew that he needed to go in obedience. And so we see in his obedience, it was immediate and it was enthusiastic. And one gauge, we talked about this before, but one gauge of our spiritual maturity is the gap between when we feel that God is prompting us, that God is tapping us on the shoulder, that between that moment and the moment that we actually move, that we actually go, that we actually respond, and that gap shows our spiritual maturity. But what do we see in Philip? We see that he goes immediately. God uh, sends him there, and he gets there. He gets to Gaza, and then God, here's part two, and he sends him to go down to the chariot, to the Ethiopian. And again, I love it. He says he runs down to the chariot in obedience, enthusiastic obedience to what God is asking him to do. It's a picture of Philip living his life on mission, going where God sends him, doing what God wants him to do. And as God opens doors to share the good news of the gospel, he does it. And he doesn't do it in some negative, obnoxious, trying to win an argument type of way, which we have wrongly thought is the way to communicate the gospel. That's not it. But willing to take the time, willing to have a spiritual conversation, and then as God intersects with a heart that's ready, a heart that's seeking, and then this guy that in willing, enthusiastic obedience is willing to take the time and to sit down and to get to know this individual and to be obedient to the gospel. And when all of those things come together, then a life transforms. Again, it's God's plan and it's genius. That's God. That's the way God wants us to do it. And so we see him boldly, unashamedly willing to share his faith and the good news of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus told us to do? He said, I want you to be my witnesses. And we mistakenly thought, oh, uh, Jesus wants us to do, do what is done in courtrooms because witnesses 
do their thing in courtrooms, don't they? Witnesses, what do they do? They give testimony to what they have seen and heard and experienced, but we get a little confused sometimes. And we hear witness, we hear courtroom, oh yeah, I love playing the part of the judge or the jury or the prosecuting attorney. The witness, not so much. And so we easily slip into being judgmental. Barna did a research study with Christian, non-Christian teens and found that 90% of non-Christian teens see Christians as judgmental. Friends, that's a problem. That's not our assignment. We were never told to be judgmental to those who are far from God. It's not our job. That's Jesus' job. That's not our job. He doesn't tell us to judge the world and to judge those people that are far from him. It's actually okay, Scripture tells us, to judge fellow followers of Jesus under certain conditions. That's a whole nother sermon that we don't have time for today. But we are not told to judge people that are far from God. That's not our job. We shouldn't also either, we shouldn't judge them. We shouldn't try to be the jury. The jury's job is to convict people. Conviction is not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So that's not our job either. And sometimes we want to play prosecuting attorney. And we want to say to our world, you're guilty and my job is to prove it. That's not our job. Our job is to be his witnesses. And witnesses tell what they know, what they've experienced, what they've seen. And Philip was ready, willing, and able to be a witness to the Savior. And then I think it's also important for us to get and see the heart of the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian who had traveled a thousand miles one way, it was a long way, no matter, no matter what kind of vehicle you have, and he's got a chariot, but every movie I've seen where there's a chariot in it, because I wasn't there, uh, you stand up in a chariot. A thousand miles in a, is a long way to stand up. Um, and again, because movies, movies always get it right, right? So I'm sure that's exactly the way it was. Um, but it's a long way, no matter how you're traveling. Even if you got that Escalade with the cool wheels, that's a long way, a thousand miles to travel. But he was willing to go that far. And here he is. He's part of the court of the queen of Ethiopia. He has this important role as the chief officer of, the fi- of finances. All that translates into a man of significant means. He has everything the world has to offer. And what did Jesus tell us? You know, heaven help the person. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? To lose what's eternal. To lose what matters most. And so this Ethiopian... Even though he has everything, he was still seeking. And God moved in him. And he moved Philip to have this divine connection. And he shares the good news with him. And friend, you may be here today. And you have everything the world has to offer. Or maybe you have nothing. And friend, to be reminded today that God loves you. That as you seek him, you will find him. That the God of the universe that spoke this world into existence, he has a desire, has a heart to know you, to love you, to be in a relationship with you, to spend an eternity with you. And so, today can be the day that you accept by faith that invitation that he gives to be his child, to be in relationship with him. We'll talk about that in just a minute to give you that chance to make that, to accept that invitation that he gives. And there's one final little thing that I'll just share with you real quick. We need to make sure that we get, and that's the heart of the gospel. 
We see the heart of the gospel in this passage. Starting in the book of Isaiah, the, the Old Testament prophet, he begins to, 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 to tell the story of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, like a, a, a lamb led to the slaughter, and that is a picture of Jesus. And Philip shares the good news of Jesus. Now, aren't you, I'm sure that he was thankful that the guy wasn't sitting there reading Leviticus or something. Uh, uh, that's hard to connect those dots. It's a little easier to connect the dots where he starts here in Isaiah chapter 53. And here in Isaiah chapter 53, we, he, he starts with a story, but to understand the good news, as he shares with him the good news, it's really important that we clearly understand the bad news. And the bad news is that there is a problem in this world, and it's sin. That sin entered the world. And then God, as we said at the beginning, that God had this ideal in perfect relationship with him, with each other, and with this world. And then sin entered and blew it. And sin has entered our lives because we are all sinners. We've all sinned and messed our lives up as well. And it carries a penalty. Romans tells us that. The penalty is death. And so on the cross, Jesus, innocent, sinless, Jesus took upon himself, not his sin, but ours because he was sinless. He took upon our, his, himself, our sin and paid the penalty satisfied the penalty in our place. I was, I was talking a while back to a, uh, to a friend, and he was talking about this soccer game he'd watched. And there was this guy, and he was, he was after, it was a defender, one of the best players on the field of, this, of, the, of, the, of the team. And the, the, he, the defender, and he's, he, this guy is going to score. He's on his way to the goal to score, and this defender catches him, fouls him from behind. Only way to save the goal, knowing that, that he's going to get a red card and get thrown out. And so in the melee that ensues as the, that defender is walking away, again, the best player on the team, uh, this other defender is walking, the ref's, you know, going towards to where the play happened because he's going to give the red card. He's got the red card out. He's ready to give it to the person who committed the foul. And this other defender is walking toward the ref. And the, in the confusion, in the melee, the ref says, were you, did you, were you the one that fouled the guy? And the, he made a very quick calculated decision. And he very quickly, because he, you know, he's He's just an average guy compared to the really super good guy that actually found him, knowing that whoever's going to get, they're going to get thrown out. Whoever gets this card, he said, oh yeah, I did it. And he gives him the card and he gets tossed. And that's what Jesus did for us. He took the red card. He got tossed so that we could stay in the game. That's what Jesus did. He took the penalty for us. He paid the cost, and that's God's plan. And everybody say it with me, genius. One more time. Ready? Genius. That's God's plan. That's what God does. That's what he did in Jesus. And so we put our faith in Christ. And then as we uh, walk out our obedience to him, as, as, as we see that, that Jesus is baptized, and it's a, it's a model to our world of the difference that Christ has, has made in us. And he commanded us to be baptized, and it's an affirmation of our faith. It shows the world the difference that Christ has made. Jesus said to go in the world and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's what we do. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, all who were sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And so, just like we have all of us that are getting baptized or baptizing, we have this shirt on, okay? I got the shirt. I put on, I put on this shirt. We put on Christ. As we model that. As we go under the water, we, we model the, the, the sin that, that, is, that is under the water. As we come up, 
cleansed, the sins washed away. And, and so it's not that the, the baptism saves us, Jesus saves us, the blood of Jesus has already done the work. This just models for us what has happened as we accepted that sacrifice. So we go down under the water and we are raised symbolically to new life in Christ. Buried with him in baptism, raised to new life. Symbolically, our sins washed away. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's what we celebrate. So as our worship team comes back up, as we conclude today, I want to just give a challenge to everyone. Whether you're listening by radio, you're on this side of the screen, you're here in this room, every single person today I want to challenge you to walk out of here reminded, letting, just chewing on the reality, the encouragement of the heart of God, that God loves you individually. That you matter to God. Take that with you. Let that rest with you. Own that, every one of us. You matter to God. He loves you. Now, the challenge for those of you who are followers of Jesus, who have invited Christ to be your Savior, He's invited you to be a part of what He's doing in this world, to be on mission, to be willing to tell your story, the difference that Christ has made, how He has changed you, to be willing, like Philip, to to exhibit enthusiastic obedience prompted by God, to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of of the gospel like Philip. We live in a world, in the culture that we live in, none of us want to be inconvenienced. I could start meddling, but that's reality. Over the last few years, we struggled. It's like we got even more hostile with one another. We lost our ability to give each other a break heart of the gospel. Philip, willing to be inconvenienced. If there's anything that that inconveniences us, then we check out. And God wants us to be engaged in his mission. And so Philip was willing to leave everything that he knew and this, this ministry where things are going great, and he was willing to be inconvenienced to go and to do the work. Not even knowing what it's going to look like exactly. Willing to be inconvenienced. Are we willing, disciple, follower of Jesus, to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? I want to challenge you to be enthusiastically obedient, to be willing to be inconvenienced. And then the final challenge would be to you, those of you who are seekers. You've come today and, and you're kicking the tires on faith, but you don't really know what you believe or not. And today I've been praying for you. I prayed for you this morning. This is your day. God loves you. God wants to be in relationship with you. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die that you could have life. So I encourage you today to accept the sacrifice that Christ made for you. And if you've accepted that, then today let's put on Christ. Let's be obedient. Let's let's follow the Lord in baptism. Let's celebrate with the world. And let's Go under that water if you've never been baptized and come up and celebrate the new life that you can have in Christ. We invite everybody to stand this morning as we conclude.
And would you just bow your heads and everybody close your eyes? And I just want to ask you a couple questions. If you're a follower of Jesus today, and God has just been speaking to you and just prompting you, and that you would just say, God, I am willing to go to do whatever you want me to do. Could you just, as an affirmation of your decision to follow and to be all in, and I'm just going to pray for us, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything else except between you and the Lord, to just raise your hand and say to God, God, I want to follow. Like Philip, I want to be all in. Would you just raise your hand to the Lord today, between you and the Lord, and just say to him, yes, I'm all in, Father. You can put your hand down. The Lord sees that. Be encouraged today. God's going to use you. And then for the person today that is here and you have never invited Christ to be your Savior. And today, as you've just heard this story, maybe God's already been working on you for a while, but you would just say, yes, today, I want to invite Christ to be my Savior. Would you just raise your hand and make sure you make eye contact with me because I want to be able to pray for you. We just make eye contact with me, just raise your hand and say to God, yes, I want to invite you to be my Savior. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, as we conclude, God, I thank you for what you're doing in this room, for the followers of Jesus, God, that you are prompting and encouraging and blessing God and just giving us a renewed vision and heart for this world that you've put us in. And God, help us to be on mission and God, send us to people. And we're willing to be inconvenienced. We want to enthusiastically be obedient and we want to experience that joy on the other side, on the backside of our, of our, of our obedience, God. And God, I pray that you just encourage us, help us, God. And God, I thank you for those individuals today that raised their hand and just said to you, yes, I want to invite Christ to be my Savior. God, thank you for the fact that as we respond by faith, that you forgive us and set us free and cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we confess our sins to you. God, thank you. And God, I thank you for each person that has made the decision to be baptized. God, we just celebrate with them as their family. God, thank you. And bless us now as we sing this final song and we celebrate just our decision to invite Christ to be our Lord, our Savior, to come to the altar, to lay everything down. We celebrate that through this song. We worship you. We love you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.